Good evening. I'm Adrian Sala, and tonight I'm going to read to you about Lizzie Borden. An American woman tried for the 1892 axe murders of her father and stepmother in Fall River, Massachusetts. Still famous today, the Borden murders and trial received widespread publicity throughout the United States and, along with Borden herself, have remained a topic in American popular culture. The murders have been depicted in numerous films, theatrical productions, literary works and folk rhymes, and are still very well known in the Fall River area. Borden was eventually acquitted of all charges, but questions have always remained around the murders, which were never solved. Was it Borden, or was it somebody else? You really have to make up your own mind on this one. Of course, it should go without saying that this episode has some rather grim details. So if you prefer something a little less murdery, I suggest exploring the app for something more uplifting, like our episode on the life of Betty White, perhaps. As we get started, take a moment to get comfortable. And when you're ready, take a few long, deep breaths, breathing in slowly and fully before exhaling, and emptying your lungs. Do this as often as you like. Deep breathing is an excellent way to calm your parasympathetic response and help you relax, especially in those moments when you're feeling a little anxious or having a tough time sleeping. And remember, if you do find yourself starting to fall asleep, simply embrace it. Breathe it in and let yourself drift off. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts to Sarah Anthony Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. Her father, who was of English and Welsh descent, grew up in very modest surroundings and struggled financially as a young man, despite being the descendant of a wealthy and influential local family. He eventually prospered in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets, then became a successful property developer. Her father was also a director of several textile mills and owned considerable commercial property, and he was president of the Union Savings Bank and director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Co. At the time of his death, his estate was valued at the equivalent of about $9.5 million today. But, despite his wealth, he was known for his frugality. For instance, 
The Borden home lacked indoor plumbing, which at the time was a common accommodation for the wealthy. Their home was in a somewhat affluent area, but the wealthiest residents of Fall River, including her father's cousins, generally lived in the more fashionable neighborhood called The Hill, which was farther from the industrial areas of the city. Lizzie and her older sister Emma had a relatively religious upbringing. As a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States. She was involved in religious organizations, such as the Christian Endeavor Society, and contemporary social movements, such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. She was also a member of the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission. Sadly, Lizzie's mother died when Lizzie was just three years old. And two years later, her father married Abby Durfee Gray. Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother Miss Borden and demurred on whether they had a cordial relationship. She believed that Abby had married her father for his wealth. The Borden's 25-year-old live-in maid, Bridget Sullivan, who they called Maggie, testified that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents. Lizzie was an animal lover, and in May of 1892, her father killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, believing they were attracting local children who were hunting them. Lizzie had recently built a roost for the pigeons, and it has been commonly recounted that she was upset over his killing them, though the veracity of this has been disputed. Regardless, a family argument in July 1892 prompted both sisters to take extended vacations in New Bedford. After returning to Fall River, a week before the murders, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the family residence. Tension had been growing within the family in the months before the murders, especially over her father's gifts of real estate to various branches of Abby's family. After their stepmother's sister received a house, the sisters demanded and received a rental property, which was in fact the home they had lived in until their mother had died. They purchased it from their father for one dollar, but a few weeks before the murders, they sold the property back to him for $5,000, equivalent to roughly $150,000 in today's value. The night before the murder, 
Moores. Their maternal uncle, John Moores, visited and was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business matters with their father. Some have speculated that their conversation, particularly about property transfer, may have aggravated an already tense situation. Also, for several days before the murders, the entire household had been violently ill. A family friend later speculated that mutton left on the stove to use in meals over several days was the cause, but their stepmother Abby had feared poison. Following a family breakfast at which their father, their stepmother, Lizzie, their uncle John, and the Borden's maid were all present, her father and her uncle moved to the sitting room where they chatted for nearly an hour. Their uncle left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River, planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at noon. Lizzie's father left for his morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. Although the cleaning of the guest room was one of Lizzie and Emma's regular chores, their stepmother Abby went upstairs sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. to make the bed. And it was during this time that she was violently murdered. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head. When her husband Andrew returned at around 10.30 a.m., his key failed to open the door, so he knocked to be let in. The maid, Maggie, went to unlock the door and, finding it jammed, she uttered a curse. She would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this. She did not see Lizzie, but stated that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. This was considered significant as Abby was already dead by this time, and her body would have been visible to anyone on the home's second floor. Lizzie denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, to which she replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Maggie stated 
that she then removed Mr. Borden's boots and helped him into his slippers before he lay down on the sofa for a nap. But this detail is contradicted by the crime scene photos which show him wearing boots. Maggie then informed Lizzie of a department store sale, which Lizzie decided to visit. She said that Maggie was welcome to come along with her, but Maggie felt unwell and went to take a nap in a bedroom instead. Maggie testified later that she was in her third floor room, resting from cleaning windows when just before 11.10 a.m. she heard Lizzie call from downstairs saying, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Mr. Borden was slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room, struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when he was attacked. His still bleeding wounds suggested it had happened very recently. Dr. Bowen, the family physician, arrived from his home across the street and pronounced him dead. Detectives estimated that Andrew's death had occurred at approximately 11 a.m., and police immediately launched an investigation. Lizzie's initial answers to the police officer's questions were at times strange and contradictory. At first, she reported hearing a groan, or a scraping noise, or a distress call before entering the house. Two hours later, she told them she had heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong. When asked where her stepmother Abby was, she recounted that she'd received a note asking her to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought she had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. The maid Maggie and a neighbor, Miss Churchill, were halfway up the stairs, their eyes level with the floor, when they looked into the guest room and saw Abby lying face down on the floor. Suddenly, the investigation was a double homicide. Most of the officers who interviewed Borden reported that they disliked her attitude and said she was too calm and poised. Despite her attitude and changing alibis, though, she was not checked for bloodstains. Police did search her room, but it was only a cursory inspection. At the trial, they admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. 
They were, of course, criticized for their lack of diligence. In the basement, police found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. The hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh, and the ash and the dust on the head, unlike that on the other bladed tools, appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look as if it had been in the basement for some time. However, none of these tools were removed from the house. Because of the mysterious illness that had stricken the household before the murders, the family's milk and both victims' stomachs were tested for poison. None was found. Residents immediately suspected Lizzie of purchasing hydrocyanic acid in an eluted form from the local store. Her defense was that she only inquired about the acid in order to clean her furs, despite the local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have antiseptic properties. Lizzie and her sister's friend, Alice Russell, decided to stay with them the night following the murders while their uncle, John Moores, spent the night in the attic guest room. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer said he had seen Lizzie enter the cellar with Russell, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. He stated he saw both women exit the cellar, after which Borden returned alone. Though he was unable to see what she was doing, he stated it appeared she was bent over the sink. On August 5th, their uncle John Morse left the house and was mobbed by hundreds of people, and police had to escort him back inside. On August 6th, Police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspecting the sisters' clothing and confiscating the broken-handled hatchet head. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. The next morning, Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress. She explained that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. It was never determined whether it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murder. Borden appeared at the inquest hearing on August 8th. 
Her request to have her family attorney present was refused under a state statute providing that an inquest must be held in private. She had been prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves, and it is possible that her testimony was affected by this. Her behavior was said to be erratic, and she often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be beneficial to her. She often contradicted herself and provided alternate accounts of the morning in question, such as saying that she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, then saying she was in the dining room doing some ironing, and then saying she was coming down the stairs. The district attorney was very aggressive and confrontational. On August 11th, Lizzie was served with a warrant of arrest and jailed. The inquest's testimony, the basis for the modern debate regarding her guilt or innocence, was later ruled inadmissible at her trial. Newspaper articles of the time noted that Lizzie possessed a stolid demeanor and bit her lips, flushed, and bent toward Attorney Adams. It was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had caused a change of opinion among her friends, who up until that point had strongly maintained her innocence. The inquest received significant press attention nationwide, including an extensive three-page write-up in the Boston Globe. A grand jury began hearing evidence on November 7th, and Lizzie Borden was officially indicted on December 2nd. Her trial took place in New Bedford starting on June 5, 1893. Prosecuting attorneys were Hosea M. Knowlton and future United States Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody. Defending were Andrew V. Jennings, Melvin Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. Surprising everyone who presumed Lizzie was guilty, five days before the trial's commencement, another axe murder occurred in Fall River, this time while Lizzie was incarcerated. The victim was Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and Borden's murders were striking and noted by the jurors. However, Jose Correo de Mello, a Portuguese immigrant, 
was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894 and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. So is it simply a coincidence? It's impossible to say for sure. A prominent point of discussion in the trial and the press coverage of it was the hatchet head found in the basement, which was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to be the murder weapon. Prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. One officer testified that the hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, but another officer contradicted this. Though no bloody clothing was found at the scene, Russell testified that on August 8th, she had witnessed Borden burn a dress in the kitchen stove, saying it had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint. During the course of the trial, defense never attempted to challenge this statement. Lizzie Borden's presence at home was also a point of dispute during the trial. According to testimony, the maid Maggie Sullivan entered the second floor of the home at around 10.58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people that at this time, she went into the barn and was not in the house for 20 minutes or possibly half an hour. Hyman Lubinsky testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie Borden leaving the barn at 11.03 a.m. and Charles Gardner confirmed the time. At 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Maggie downstairs, told her Andrew had been murdered and ordered her not to enter the room. Instead, Lizzie sent her to get a doctor. In some crazy courtroom theatrics, both victims' heads had been removed during autopsy and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th. Upon seeing them in the courtroom, Lizzie fainted. Lawyers attempted to enter the fact that she had tried to buy acid but the evidence was excluded, and the judge ruled that the incident was too remote in time to have any connection. The presiding associate justice, Justin Dewey, delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th. After just an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Lizzie Borden of the murders. 
Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was the happiest woman in the world. The trial has been compared to the later trial of O.J. Simpson as a landmark in publicity and public interest in the history of American legal proceedings. Although acquitted at trial, Lizzie Borden remained the prime suspect in her father and stepmother's murders. Writer Victoria Lincoln proposed in 1967 that Borden might have committed the murders while she was in a blackout state. Mystery author Evan Hunter, in his 1984 novel Lizzie, suggested that Borden committed the murders after being caught in a tryst with Maggie Sullivan. In her later years, Lizzie was rumored to be gay. But there was no such speculation about Maggie, who found other employment after the murders and later married a man she met while working as a maid in Butte, Montana. She died there in 1948, where she allegedly gave a deathbed confession to her sister, stating that she had changed her testimony on the stand in order to protect Lizzie. Another significant suspect has been Lizzie's maternal uncle, John Morris, who rarely met with the family after his sister died, but had slept in the house the night before the murder. According to law enforcement, Morris had provided an absurdly perfect and over-detailed alibi for the murders, and he was considered a suspect by police for a period. Others noted as potential suspects in the crimes include Maggie Sullivan, possibly in retaliation for being ordered to clean the windows on a hot day. The day of the murders was unusually hot, and at the time she was still recovering from the mystery illness that had struck the household. While all of this speculation is compelling, the fact remains that the case was never solved. No one was ever convicted for the murder of the Bordens. After the trial, the Borden sisters moved into a large modern house in the Hill neighborhood in Fall River. Around this time, Lizzie began using the name Lizbeth. Because of their inheritance at the new house, they had a staff that included live-in maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. And because their stepmother was ruled to have died before her father, her estate went first to him and then, at his death, was passed to his daughters as part of his estate. 
A considerable settlement, however, was later paid to settle the claims by their stepmother's family. Despite the acquittal, Lizzie Borden was ostracized by Fall River Society. In 1905, shortly after an argument over a party that she had given for actress Nance O'Neill, her sister moved out of the house and they never saw each other again. On June 1st, 1927, Lizzie Borden died of pneumonia in Fall River. Funeral details were not published and few attended. Nine days later, her sister Emma died from chronic nephritis at the age of 76 in a nursing home in Newmarket, New Hampshire. The sisters, neither of whom had ever married, were buried side by side in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. Forever a suspect, but never convicted, Lizzie Borden was 66 years old when she died. 